and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David, and as always, I am joined by the pious Matt. Hello there. Hi. So, uh, we're, we're talking on Skype once again. Yep. Um, what are we in now? Week three of lockdown? Something like that. Well, this will be our fourth, maybe even four weeks, because this will be our fourth... Uh, um, Episodes, yeah, since it all kind of kicked off. Uh, if you include the bonus ones I did for the last couple of weeks. Uh, and this is coming out. Um, it's Easter weekend, and I was thinking, do you know, Matt, what... Is is there a special name for the Saturday and Easter weekend? Because it's Good Friday, and then it's Easter Sunday and Easter Monday, but what's the Saturday? Um, is it the perineum of Easter? <laughs> Is that? A, I thought that was like an anatomical thing. Yeah, it's the area between your balls and your bum. Ah, oh, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> we'll call it known as the taint. Yeah, or the gash. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just okay. gonna make sure. Uh, yeah, perineum. It's the perineum Saturday. <laughs> All right. Well, happy perineum Saturday, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Hope you all enjoyed um, your fish yesterday and looking forward to your chocolate tomorrow. Oh, what, what a joy that will be. Um, and in the meantime, you, you get to listen to us discussing my favourite episode of uh, Series 6. Now, we, we discussed last week, you, you watched, before the whole thing kicked off, you watched the first ten minutes of this. Yeah, the and first then, eight minutes. Uh, yeah. I, I sort of clocked today where I'd watched to. <laughs> and you obviously abandoned it because, one, you're in a foul mood, and, and two, it looked like we were potentially not going to be recording it for quite a long time. Um, but you, you were not... You were not impressed by those initial eight minutes on first viewing. No, I, I would say I warmed to it, but then I'm so pleased to hear that today. I was thinking if if I'm gonna rubbish this episode, you're obviously just gonna come back and talk about how much you love it. So I uh, just yeah. want to draw your attention to something I found on the Wikipedia for this episode. Go for it. Okay, more people on the. 17th of September, when this episode aired, watched Family Fortunes than watched this episode. Yeah, sounds about right. That that doesn't stick in the craw with me too much. Honestly, you, if you want to... Is it, Family Fortunes still, like, big? <laughs> I remember I, no I used idea. to love it as a child, and now when I watch it, I'm just like, is that shite still on? It's always celebrity Family Fortunes on nowadays. I'll tell you what, what really killed Family Fortunes for me... I mean, I was never a big fan, but when Pointless came out and, like, did it the right way round... Yeah, Pointless is a good one. Yeah, because... Um, if you, if you had to say your favourite all-time daytime quiz? I mean, currently airing, yeah, yeah, Pointless every time for me. Are you a fan of The Chase? Bradley Walsh? I don't, I don't, dis- I don't dislike The Chase, no. he's he's um, uh, Bradley Walsh is, you know, good fun and... and I find it drags out a little bit, the chase. Would you slum um, it enough to watch Tipping Point? I have a story about Tipping Point, Go on. which I don't think I've ever told on the podcast before. Uh, the first time I ever saw Tipping Point, I was coming round from a general anaesthetic after uh, some quite major surgery... And so I was lying in a hospital bed and there was this telly on in the corner of the of, of the ward 
and it was showing Tipping Point, which for, for listeners who aren't familiar with Tipping Point, it's an ITV quiz show uh, based around, you know, those like old seaside arcade machines where you pop a 2p in and it's got a little tray that's slowly going in and yeah, out with I all think, the 2p's I think they're commonly it. known as Penny Falls machines. Yeah. But I don't know whether they exist outside rundown British seaside towns. Perhaps not. But anyway, it's uh, th- that's basically what it is. It's basically like an oversized version of those machines um and it somehow folded in with a quiz i'll be honest i don't think i've ever seen it i've seen it maybe like once since but it was the most discombobulating experience of my life mm. just you know did you I, still I, imagine it was some part of your like anesthetic fever dream yeah i thought i would i, I generally had a moment where i was like am i in like a coma now is this what is this world where this is a thing on the TV? I'm just watching someone putting discs into a giant arcade machine. It was bizarre. It was. I think my all time favourite daytime quiz. It's got to be Call My Bluff for me. Yeah, I used to love a bit of Call My Bluff as a kid. Now, just on my deep dive into Wikipedia, I'm currently on the Family yeah. Fortunes Wikipedia page. <laughs> Did you know that, much like Doctor Who, uh, Family Fortunes has missing episodes? Really? In particular, from the Bob Monkhouse era. What era would that even have been? Uh, So that stems from 1980 to 1983. Right, and they chose not to archive them. Yeah, and many of the lost episodes were recovered from Bob Monkhouse's own private recordings. Wow. You know how he kept really in-depth joke journals? Yes, yeah. I think he must have recorded himself on the TV to review his performance. Well, I don't know whether that or maybe... Because he was such a perfectionist in his way. I wonder whether it was more a case of he wanted to make sure he wasn't like reusing material and and things like that, maybe. This is speculation on my part, but... uh... Yeah, I think going down like this wormhole of like daytime... TV. I'm going to change my answer for favourite quiz. I'm going to go with Wipeout with Bob Monkhouse. Oh, Wipeout was also excellent. Yeah. Shall we talk about Doctor Who? I suppose we better had. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to add daytime British quizzes on the list with Robot Wars or potential (laughs) future podcasts. When we when we have it, will end up with an, an entire podcast network of just us. Yeah. Talking about different TV shows. But each show that we talk about will go off on a tangent and talk about others. <laughs> There'll be an exponential curve of podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Tune in in a few years' time. If you really want to hear us talk about uh, Doctor Who in a focused way, uh, yeah, ch- tune into our 15 to 1 podcast. Yeah. Go back a few episodes. We, we gave up on that about 30 episodes ago. <laughs> go, go back to, like, you know, Tenant... Maybe even Eccleston. Uh, but yeah, let's get it together, because I, I, I do really like this episode, and, and uh, there is lots I want to talk about with what, it. But... What do you like about this episode? <laughs> you said that in such an accusatory fashion. Yeah, like, what is it? Because I, I got through it, and at the end I thought, yeah, that's alright, but I don't think it ever got any better than alright for me. Mm, okay, so... What do I like about it? Uh, first things first, 
Uh, I th- well, I think it's a solid script from Toby Whithouse. Uh, probably his best that we've done to date. Previ- uh, previously, we've seen uh, the s- School Reunion and uh, Vampires of Venice from Toby uh, Whithouse. Not School Reunion. Yeah, School Reunion. And I like, but I like everything he's done so far. But I think this is the strongest of the three that we've seen. Um, I really like the direction from Nick Curran and also who I don't, I don't have the name up on Wikipedia and I, I can't be bothered to go to INDB and look elsewhere, but whoever did the editing for it, I think it's magnificently well edited, which isn't a skill that always um, like demands your focus as a viewer. But if you go back and look at this episode with a, you know, with a, with an eye towards the editing choices that were made, and the directing choices that were made, I think it's 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 magnificent. When you think about the fact that it's they are trapped in this one very samey looking space for pretty much the entire episode, but there is a dynamism to the uh, the camera movements and the shot choices. Lots of like low angles showing like props, um, like on the carpet and you know the the corridor stretching back, perfectly framed, and uh, you know then cuts to sudden close-ups lots of use of reflections like people's faces reflected in mirrors and doorknobs and fishbowls and there's lots visually going on in what could otherwise be quite a stale episode from a visual perspective if that makes sense Mm. yeah i could agree to that because in total there's maybe four or five locations throughout the whole episode well if you Count various rooms of the hotel, then yes. But essentially, this is your classic um, uh, what what the Who community tend to call base under siege. Uh, only it's not a typical one because a typical base under siege would be some kind of mining facility or military base or something like that. Whereas with this, it's we, we, to, from the outside, it looks like some kind of hotel. We later find out what it actually is, but. You know that's part of the the nature of the base is part of the mystery that drives the episode. Um, but essentially, it is lots of people running around in corridors, mm. um, which is classic Doctor Who formula. Um, uh, so, what else do I like about it? I think uh, Matt Smith again is magnificent in this. Um, I think this was a really really strong episode for him, and I think it does a lot to dig into the doctor's perception of himself and how others perceive him. And, you know, if you're interested in you sort of analyzing the nature of the character of the doctor, there is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of meaty stuff in this episode for that. Mm. So those are the things that keep, keep me coming back to it and, 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 and make it quite a rewarding episode for me. And I think maybe it is one where, on first viewing, you're not necessarily going to pick up on that to the same extent. So you're probably at a disadvantage in that respect. So I totally understand why people don't like it. Not everybody does like it. But for me, it is the standout of the series. Right. Shall we just jump into the episode then? Why not? Yeah. I didn't really have anything to say then. <laughs> I, I was just like, I'll just let him talk. I'll yeah. Him I mean, talk. let's be honest. This is... That, this is the reason I do this podcast. It's it's just to save my my 
long-suffering partner from listening to these kinds of monologues yeah. of me waffling on about Doctor Who. I just thought I would inflict them on you and and the the uh, the internet at large instead. Yeah. My my goal for this podcast is still just to have a fight with a Doctor Who fan. <laughs> You're just baiting them every week. Yeah. Right. So, let's jump in then. So, this let's is episode 11 of season 6. So, we must be near the end. We certainly are. Which can only be a good thing cuz <laughs> not the best series we've watched. It's been a patchy one, mm. I would say. Like a big patch of shite. So, we're in an old hotel. I say old. It's like 1980s, like, chintzy decor, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And we're introduced to a policewoman, Lucy Haywood. Mm-hmm. And I've just done a quick scan on Facebook for Lucy Haywood, see if there was anything interesting. So, if you are the Lucy Haywood from Leicester or Birmingham, get in touch. You can win a prize. <laughs> You're not going to specify what that prize is? Uh, no. No. Um, a mystery prize. Try to think what I've got on my desk they could have. One of those clicky pens that does four colours. Ah. You know, the classic red, blue, green, black combo. Yeah, can't beat a proper four colour pen. Yeah. Not cheap I, I, either. I was, it's official no. Bic branded. Wow. I've got one knocking around at home. I daren't take it into work. Ah, see, I've done the opposite. This is a work one that I've stolen. (laughs) Well, this is why. This is why I don't risk taking my nice pens into work. Here's a little tip for anyone listening. Just always make sure you're the first person that gets to work on a morning. So (laughs) I, I, I work in a school and I arrive at half six every morning. The groundsman lets me in. And I, I just basically go to the library where we get all our supplies and just take what I want. And no one can argue because I'm there first. So it makes me look like the hardest working man in the room. Fair enough. So Lucy Haywood is the last one left. She doesn't really say what she is the last of. She's just the survivor of whatever group she was part of. Yeah. And she's sort of meandering through the corridors of this hotel. And eventually she goes into one of the hotel rooms. Where there is a gorilla. Yes, and a really unconvincing gorilla suit at that. Yeah. And as she is sort of scared of this gorilla, we also see, I'm assuming in a different room or somewhere else, a monster awakens. Yes, it's... um, At this stage, we don't really see much of it at all, do we? No, we just see it's got like crystal blue eyes, beautiful blue eyes. Yes, yeah. And she says, praise him. And is then attacked. And I think that's where we sort of cut to the titles. That's like our little intro to the episode. Yeah, so, you know, she's been jotting in a notebook. We've got that to discover later, but uh, yeah. Okay. That sets us up. So we then have the Doctor, Amy and Rory, who are now in the same hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're complaining that they're in a hotel on Earth, but the Doctor explains it's not Earth, it's just made to look like it. And in the reception of this hotel, we have photos on the wall of random people with statements below them, 
And we see one of Lucy Haywood, and underneath it says something about the gorilla. That brutal gorilla, I believe, is the phrase. There we go, that brutal gorilla. Uh, some uh, of the other interesting ones in there, you've got a Sontaran in there. Yeah, um, scared the of defeat, is it? Defeat, yes, yeah. There's ah, oh, there isn't a, it's not a Silurian, is it? There's another one. No, there's a Judoon. Um, Judoon, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, bit of fun, isn't it? You know, makes the world feel a bit more connected. Well, speaking of a bit of fun, should we talk about Gibbis? Oh, do let's. Okay. So, did you uh, pick up on who is playing Gibbis? Well, yeah, time? it was fairly obvious. It's David yeah. Williams. Yeah. Basically playing one of his many characters from Little Britain. Pretty much, yeah. It's. I mean, what I would say is, I, 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 look, I'm not the world's biggest David Williams fan. I think he's like good in small doses. Uh, I could go don't go on my whole spiel about Little Britain, uh, but suffice it to say. They had some good ideas, but it, it outstayed its welcome very quickly, I think. Um, David Williams is a very big performer. Like, he doesn't do subtle, really. Mm. And he's not doing subtle here, but he is managing to contain it sufficiently that it doesn't somehow become the David Williams show. Like, he is. it's a good support performance. Um, so I think, you know, credit to him for that. I do like the idea of an alien race that are the least successful in battle, so they've become like entirely submissive. Yes, yeah, they 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 live to be conquered by other uh, more powerful races. Doesn't he say their national anthem is something like "Glory to insert in- name here"? Yes, he does, and uh, yeah, I think are they Tivolian or something? I think Possibly. it is. It, it's uh, it's a new new race for for the uh, for the show, not something from the classic series or anything. But yeah, it's it's a, it's a it's a fun concept. Um, but yeah, other than that, all the other people that we meet are human, I believe. Yeah, so we meet Rita and Howie as well yes. at this point. Yeah. So Rita appears to be some sort of nurse doctor. She's got the yep. full medical garb on. Yeah, she's wearing her scrubs. And Howie just seems to be like teenage outcast almost. Yes, like yeah. quite a, quite nerdy, you know, stereotypical basement dweller. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to use such bleak terms, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which isn't to, to to cast any aspersions to uh, anyone who does actually dwell in a basement. Yeah, you know I mean, that is a valid life choice. That obviously, can't be thrown at me as I'm currently sat in my attic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but basically, uh, all I mean by that is just he very much conforms to a lot of the stereotypes around that sort of it's an it's an archetypal uh, archetypal character. Basically. Yeah, well, we later find out he's like a conspiracy theorist. Isn't it? Yes, yeah. So it's all just kind of playing into that uh, that stereotype. Uh, but anyway, um, so we find out that the hotel has, as they say, bad dreams in the bedrooms. So whenever you go into one of the bedrooms, you're going to see or experience something you're not going to enjoy. 
Yeah, and I, I do like the doctor's response to that, which is just, oh, well, that killed the mood. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, he's doing his usual sort of ebullient, ooh, this is an interesting experience thing. And then just like, yeah, no, all the rooms have got nightmares in them. Yeah. Well, speaking of nightmares, the TARDIS is gone. So yeah. the hotel walls appear to move. And in fact, yeah. some of the doors aren't doors. They're just walls that look like doors. And the yeah. windows are just walls that look like windows. So there is, there is, they are completely trapped in this thing. There is no sort of obvious means of escape. Yeah. So at this point, we're told there's another survivor. Joe. Yes. So they go to see what's happening with Joe. And he's in a room full of ventriloquist dummies. He is. He's tied to a chair. Yeah. And this appears and... to be his nightmare. But in the end, he sort of accepts that it's not that bad. He finds them quite funny. Yes, but in a in a sort of glassy-eyed, clearly gone off the deep end way. Like, yeah, well, we'll talk about that in a second. We'll talk about okay. that in a second. So right. he tells the doctor to go find his own room. Yeah, he says that he's seen the light and that nothing matters but him. And we assume that's referring to this beast creature that we've seen. Yeah, we don't we don't know for definite, but like you could hear the capital H in the way he pronounces him. Yeah, yeah. So rather than leave Joe, Doctor gets like a little trolley and puts him on it on his chair because he's still tied and bound to the chair. Yeah, and the Doctor starts to formulate a plan of escape. So he tells them, "Don't go into any room, and because the walls shift, stay where someone can see you at all times." Mm-hmm. And at that point, a man comes out of the room, and I couldn't work out, is this one of the Doctor's fears, or just a general fear? Um, I think it's just somebody else's fear, isn't it? Yeah, well, a PE teacher opens the door, and shouts at the Doctor for for getting his PE kit, and says, you'll have to do it in your pants. (laughs) Yep. Don't get away with that in schools these days, trust me. I'd be putting nope. straight in some safeguarding information <laughs> if I heard a colleague say that. <laughs> and then Howie opens a door to one of his fears, and it's just a group of mean girls who are calling him a loser. I think they laugh at the fact that he used to have a speech impediment. Yeah, yeah, and that gets referenced again later. Yeah, they're pretty cruel towards him. Yes, yeah. So obviously it's... And again, it's like... They're not necessarily, you know, suggesting this is what girls would actually be like around him, but it's his fear of yeah. of that kind of contact. So, I think that's yeah. a crippling fear that all men have at some point in their life. To a certain extent, yes. I mean, I, I could, as a as a strange nerdy kid myself growing up, I can one hundred percent relate to that. See, I. I uh, I don't want to blow my own trumpet, but I would say, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't unpopular at school. I had a lot of friends, mm. but I, I genuinely think it's like the one thing men don't talk about, but it happens to every single man. Mm. You know, I think everyone fears that rejection. Oh, absolutely! It's a very, it's a very natural human fear. I think. Mm. So from there, Rory sees a door. But this one's different. It's a fire door. Mm-hmm. It's a fire exit. And he tries to point that out to everyone else. But at that point, they hear a roar. A roaring sound. So they hide. 
Yeah. But not before Amy picks up a bit of paper that she finds on the floor. Yep. Bringing us back round to the cold open. Yep. So we know that's something written by Lucy Haywood because she's sort of penning her final thoughts when we see her. Yeah. Uh, So in the room they're hiding in is Rita's dad, who is shouting at her for being an academic failure. I think he shouts at her for getting a B in her exams or something like that. Yeah, a B in maths. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, obviously... There, you know, her fear is, 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 you know, having this sort of overbearing father with perhaps unrealistic expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that fear of never being good enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, in another room where they were hiding, Amy sees the Weeping Angels. Yeah. Which was a nice surprise. Yeah. Uh, Except they're just holograms. Yeah. Uh, because so, again, uh, it's it's just it's a manifestation of the fear. It's not it's not the thing itself. Yeah. So at first, Amy can't fathom why they're not moving yeah. when people are blinking because they don't know the rules. But the doctor sort of pushes his hand and it goes through the face of the angel, and he realizes mm. they're just not real. Yeah. And we at first the the assumption is that it's uh, Amy's fear in yeah. Amy's room that they found because because of obviously she was like quite early into her travels with the doctor we had that two parter with the weeping angels which probably is the, the the most traumatic thing that's happened to her on her travel so far I'd say I don't know oh, what no, about the no, time I she got kidnapped and no, forced no, no, to have I, a baby I, in prison I kind of forgot about that was <laughs> I real I remembered it as those words were coming out of my mouth yeah. and I think that just goes to show. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll save this discussion for the series six wrap up. But the fact that I forgot about it for a second, yeah, tells you a lot there. I think. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, but that's the assumption is that it's somehow related to uh, to Amy. But then we establish that actually it's it's Gibbous's fear. Yeah. Yeah. So he's obviously had some kind of brush with the angels at some point. So we then hear the roaring again outside the door. Yeah. So Joe steps out to face whatever it is that keeps roaring. And the doctor chases it to see what's happening. Mm-hmm. Now, going back to when you said Joe had a glassy look on his face. Yeah. I've written in my notes that the doctor finds Joe in a catatonic state. But he's just dead. Yeah. He's just dead. He's just dead. <laughs> he's just yeah. dead. So I've written every time, uh, the Doctor seems to find a lot of people in catatonic states, and the next thing you see is just them dead. Yeah. So, at this point, the party seem to realise the trouble they're in, so they barricade themselves in like the dining room bar area of the hotel. Yeah. Okay. So Gibbis says that the Weeping Angels were for him at this point and Amy's room is still out there somewhere. Yeah. And this is where I thought things started to get a little bit interesting because Rita thinks the hotel might just be hell. Yes. So I like that idea rather than it just being Monster of the Week. I thought we were going in a sort of high concept direction. Yeah, absolutely. Um I should know it's better an... by now, really, shouldn't I? <laughs> well, it's it's an interesting theory, and I like 
We haven't really touched on yet uh, the Doctor's relationship with Rita. Very, very early on, he picks up how kind of intelligent she is and how open to different possibilities she is. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And so I don't... Is it this scene or has it already happened where he sort of mimes the the call me thing to her? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I th- think, is it at this point where she goes, are you a real doctor, a doctor of medicine, or have you got, like, a degree, like a degree. in trees? And he goes, well, both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I love those kind of throwaway lines. It's, it's, it's you know, a great bit of consistent thing with the doctor. It's just like, so you've now got this thought in your head, like, is he just saying that in a casual, like, jokey way, just to gloss over it? Or did he actually at one point knuckle down and get a degree in cheese making? Yeah, it's not beyond the realms of the Doctor that he would do that, is it? <laughs> Absolutely not. So, um, but yeah, but you've got, she's almost like a kind of proto-companion at this point. You know, mm. she is she is as proactive as Amy and Rory in investigating. Yeah. So Amy then shows the Doctor the note that she found from Lucy. Yeah. Which mentions worship and praising him that we know were some of Joe's final words. Yeah. I think Lucy says like the gaps between my worships are getting shorter. Yeah. So like she's, it's like it's closing in on her almost, Mm. you know, she's losing control of her, her faculties. But it's Howie at this point that says praise him. Yeah. So the Doctor orders everyone to sit around the table. They're going to wait until Howie is possessed again uh, Mm -hmm. for the Doctor to question him. So through his questioning, the Doctor works out that this beast is feeding on fear. Yes. And that's why the hotel has all these horrible rooms to cause fear. And the Doctor says they're going to capture it. They're going to set up a trap. Mm Mm-hmm. So how they do that is when Howie is rambling about praising this beast and worshipping it, (coughs) the Doctor has set the sonic screwdriver to announce that through the hotel tannoy system into what appears to be like a hair salon, which pulls the beast in that direction. Um, Rory and Amy... And Rita are all hiding in different rooms. And there's a good moment here where they're hiding, waiting for the beast. And in the room Amy and Rita are hiding in, there's a sad clown. Yep. Like proper classic sad clown, single red balloon. So Rita sort of waves and says hello. And Amy's like, don't don't talk to the clown. (laughs) Yeah. So they've overcome their fear because they know it's not real. The beast charges into the hairdressing salon. They rush out the rooms and barricade all the doors behind it. And mm. the doctor is communicating by standing in front of a mirror, which is allowing him to see the beast, the beast to see him, but he's not in any immediate danger. Yeah. Okay. So this is the first time we see the beast. Yes. Because earlier in the episode, the Doctor sort of touches the ceiling and realises some of the plaster's missing. And here Mm -hmm. we see it's because the Beast has huge horns that are banging on the ceiling when they're lower down. 
Yeah. What did you make of the design of the beast? Um, it's well, it's a minotaur, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's Call the best space, we've seen in some time. It's it's really good. It's really well pulled off, and it's in some ways it's. I mean, maybe we're only saying this because they managed to be relatively coy with how they use it. They tease it out. They don't show it up close, like in full that often. But or for that extended period. If they did period, this but... and it was just a giant chicken, like we've had in the past, yeah, it would have been a disappointment. I like the fact that it's got like a bestial exterior, but it's able to communicate. It's not totally feral. Yeah, I'm just quickly uh, because they do mention it, but I, I imagine you won't have picked up on it because it's a throwaway thing at the very end of the episode. Uh, the Doctor confirms that it's related to the Naimon. Okay. Um, who appeared in a Tom Baker story, uh, The Horns of Naimon. Yep. And I'm just going to quickly send you, because we're on Skype, I'm going to send you a link to an image of the Naimon. So uh, well, you, I, can, you can I, see how much of an upgrade it is. I was going to say, I've got the Wikipedia link to the Horns of Naimon, and I can see it. I just want to make sure you can see their full bodies. and. Uh... Oh, yes. Yeah. So it's an upgrade. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna return a message with yeah. what it reminds me of. Okay? So... So it reminded me of there was a mid nineties wrestler called Mantor. <laughs> Mant. Um, wow. I'm not certain if that link gives. Oh yeah, the first picture is the Mantor costume. Yeah. <laughs> it's pr- pretty special. <laughs> that's that's amazing. That is, you would get so sweaty wrestling in that. Yeah. Well, surely. It was supposed to be like a big launch of this character, Mantor. Now, the problem was the helmet, the bull head, is so big that the person couldn't fit between the ropes of the wrestling ring. (laughs) So You'd think someone would have thought about that before they went to the effort of making the costume. Yeah, so on his... I believe it was on his debut appearance, he basically stood trying to get through the ropes and couldn't and then had to <laughs> unceremoniously remove that helmet. Oh man. That's quite funny. Uh um but anyway, yes, yeah, so um the creature is a minotaur to all intents yep. and purposes. Obviously it's an alien because it's Doctor Who. But um a good choice, I think, because it obviously ties it back to that to that classic myth. Because they are essentially in a labyrinth, you know. It's it's ever shifting corridors hmm. and and things like that. So it it feels like a good fit for this story. Yeah, especially when we get the revelation that this isn't a hotel; it's a prison. Yes, which again links to the labyrinth mythology. Absolutely, yeah. And the beast says that he's the warden, again, much like the Minotaur in the Labyrinth. Well, I think we assume that at first, because the, the Doctor is sort of translating and the beast is speaking very in like very fragmented fashion. Mm. So it, the beast mentions a warden, 
I think we later realise that that's not quite how it is, but you'd be forgiven for thinking that's how... I think you're meant to think that at that stage because it makes sense. Mm. But the Beast also tells the Doctor that it wants this to end. Yeah. So, again, it's unspecified what it wants to end, whether it's its duty serving in this prison or whether it wants the trap or the chasing from the Doctor. That's just its final thing that it says is, I want this to end. Yeah. So, following on from this, there's a bit of a kerfuffle and the Beast, you know, goes a bit mad. So Amy, Rory and Rita are separated from the Doctor. Yeah. And again, I've just put the Doctor finds a catatonic Howie. The next thing you see is him laying Howie to rest. Yeah. So Howie's dead now. R.I.P. Howie, yeah. Yeah, but Howie was freed by Gibbis. Yes. So he sort of points out that Gibbis's cowardice is almost sly. Yes, in, that's, in a re- that's a fantastic moment from the Doctor there. I, f- I feel like, you know, it, the, the whole way, the way that moment is framed as well, with like, give us, give us sat there, and the, the Doctor kind of looms in close on his face and says, you might think your, 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 your cowardice is sort of, is charming, but it's, it's not, it's sly and aggressive, he even refers to it as. Right, now, you know, one point, you might be able to clarify for yes. me on this bit. What I'll was try. what was the role of the goldfish? There's just I have a, no idea. There's a goldfish, and then yeah. at some point they say rescue the goldfish, and I think Gibbys yes. does. And then later on, we he sort eats of the goldfish. S- yeah, yeah. I don't understand why they initially grabbed the goldfish. To be honest, it's 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 one of those things where it's like because I I've watched this a few times, but it's always a few years between watching. Mm. Um. So what tends to happen is I'll have forgotten all about the goldfish until it comes up again during the episode. Then I'm like, what's going on with the goldfish? And then I never think to look it up or anything. So like, I don't actually have a valid mm. answer for it. I can tell you why I th- why it doesn't bother me from a thematic perspective. Because again, the idea of a goldfish trapped in a goldfish bowl feels like a reflection of the situation that the characters are in Mm. and you you know it's essentially it's a prison um so on a thematic level i get it what i'm not less clear on is (laughs) why you have that moment where they're just like oh yeah grab the goldfish so yeah i think it's also important to note that the reason gibbis freed howie was he was trying to almost placate the beast? Yeah, he was basically being like he's he's like suck, he's eating our souls effectively. Mm. Maybe if he gets to Harry before me, he'll be all too fill up to eat me. Yeah, that's that's the logic. Um, so yeah, the, the the doctor is pretty. You know, he's right to chastise him for that. Right, that, that's so, shitty behaviour. This then leads into what I think's the best part of this episode. Yeah. And again, it comes from Rory, who is... He's probably been the best bit of this series so far. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. So he mentions that when they lay Howie to rest, that Howie, in the past, had overcome his speech impediment that we Mm. talked about earlier. And he uses the line, not all victories are saving the universe. 
And that seems to really hit home with the Doctor. Yes. And again, when we get to the end of the episode, we'll probably draw on that point again. Mm. I think it's because... The reason Rory really stands out in this series is... uh, The Doctor isn't selfish, but he's very, very big picture. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? He he doesn't... the Doctor isn't necessarily focusing on the little details about people. He's so focused on the bigger picture of, like, stopping what the bad thing, whatever the bad thing is and stuff. Amy gets very swept along by that. And I think Rory is the only one kind of anchoring them and kind of, if you like, being the sort of heart of the group. Yeah, I think that's fair. So I, I think that's why he's such an appealing character. But because more than Amy at this point, I feel like Rory is the audience proxy. Yeah, yeah. He's, you know, the substitute for us. He behaves in the way we would expect we would behave. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. No, it's a great moment. I agree. It's one of the standouts of the uh, episode. So the next to succumb to the beast and his powers is Rita. Yeah. She's the next to quote unquote praise him. So yeah. the doctor who is separated from Rita, Rory, and Amy is in the security room of the hotel where he can view them by camera. And he notices Rita walks past, I think it's room 311. Yeah. So he uses the telephone to call that room. She picks up the phone, she hears it ringing from the corridor, so he can communicate with her. But it seems to be too little too late. She's accepted her fate and the beast gets her. Yeah. But this is where the Doctor makes his realisation where he's been going wrong, what his mistake has been so far. Before we get into that, uh, I just want to say, uh, R.I.P. Rita. I think, uh, you may disagree, but I think she joins the ranks of a very rarefied group of, you know could have been companions mm. with the likes of, say, Sally Sparrow from Blink. And that space woman and... that shot herself. Yeah, yeah. Like ones where, like, if circumstances had been different, you could have seen them mm. becoming a, a regular and companion. was the lady called Rosita or something that hung about with the Victorian doctor that wasn't oh, the yes. doctor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She would have been good for a few episodes. I would have liked that. So, yeah, we've ha- we've had a few. But yeah, Rita is the latest amongst their number, I would say. So this is where, as we've said, the Doctor realises his mistake and the Beast is feeding on faith, not fear. Mm. So they point out that Joe had dice cufflinks. He was a believer of luck. Yes. And then, um, I can't remember the guy's name, Howie. Howie. They realised yeah. that Howie believed in his conspiracies and he had faith in that. And then Yeah, Rita, that's what made the world make sense to him. Rita had previously discussed her faith as a Muslim. Yeah. Okay. So her strength, her faith was her religion. So the Doctor then pinpoints that the reason it didn't go after Rory and the reason it was pointing Rory in the direction of fire exits and way out is because he doesn't have that level of faith or belief. 
Yes, yeah, there's no one thing that, that Rory kind of believes in that strongly and that blindly that he can be exploited in that way. Well, I'm going to talk about that in a second. Yeah. Because the Doctor then points out that the person in the room with the most faith is Amy, her faith yeah. in the Doctor. Yeah. Now, one of the things this series has done is highlight that Amy does love Rory more than she loves the Doctor. Yes. But here, that's not the case. And Rory no. doesn't have any faith in Amy. <laughs> okay. It, it just seems no. to a little slip there to me. I, I, let me unpack that, because I think this is... this. I think this is bang on the money, and I think you're maybe misinterpreting it. Amy's faith in the Doctor is not coming from a place of love, necessarily. It's just she has faith in him to fix everything, make everything all right. And that is deep-rooted back from, you know, the days when she was a child, the raggedy Doctor, all of that. It's that deep-rooted in her psyche, this faith in the Doctor. Um, so I think it's different different from from love and her love for Rory. Because love and faith are, are, are sometimes interconnected, but they are fundamentally different ideas. Mm. Um, likewise, yeah, Rory has faith in Amy, but also he believes that, you know, she, she's human, she's fallible in the way everybody is. I, I, I think one of the things I... I this is probably the point we should talk about it. Another of the reasons that I love this episode is because I am myself a sceptic. That is my default position. And that's not... Which isn't to diminish faith for those who take comfort from it. Um, I, I I was raised in a very, uh, very Christian household. Uh, my My mum in particular is still, you know deeply um ensconced within her church community and is like you know a, you know does a lot through that it's 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 absolutely central to her way of life um and i was very much raised within that kind of setting and it was only when i became when i was a teenager and i started doing more thinking for myself that i moved away from that and um so I'm very interested in faith and I still have quite a deep fascination for, for faith and also the extremes of faith. It's why I read a lot of things about cults and stuff like that. Um, but ultimately I feel like human beings need first and foremost to have faith in other human beings rather than things beyond that. Because... If you understand that, if you have faith in humans, but you understand that humans are fallible, they they're no better than you, um, then that some might call that cynical, but I just think that's a sensible grounding from which to understand the world, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this episode ultimately that's what it's trying to say. It's not trying to take anyone's faith away from them. It's not, you know, saying Rita is a is an is an idiot for being a practicing Muslim. But it's saying it if faith is blind and is the sum total if if that is the only thing you rely on to get you through life, there will be times when it isn't enough. And and also that, that blind faith can be exploited. Mm-hmm. 
you know, for, to nefarious ends, which which is we we know to be true, you know. So I I, I it resonates with me for that reason. So what resonates me with me is what this episode's been missing so far. Running about for a bit. <laughs> Wouldn't be Doctor Who without it. Yeah. So they run into a room where they find little Amelia. And I think I'm right in saying we're now in Amy's room. Yes. Okay. And Amy's fear appears to be that she needs to lose her faith in the Doctor. Yeah, so, basically, it's, it's that fear of abandonment, isn't it? That's yeah. that's what it comes down to. It and it's 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 little Amelia all wrapped up, sat on a suitcase, just like we saw in the eleventh hour. Yeah. So the doctor tells her some home truths to try and make her lose her faith. Yeah. Says I'm not a hero. I'm just a madman in a box. Yeah. Which is true. <laughs> it certainly is. At this point, I think I'm right in saying it's the first time we've heard it. He calls her Amy Williams, not Pond. Yes, yeah, because it it kind of goes both ways. In the same way that um, Amy has been romanticizing, not as as in you know romantically interested in, but romanticizing the notion of the Doctor. Hmm. The the Doctor has this kind of fairy tale view of Amy, as you know, little Amelia Pond. You yeah. Know. Um, and it's him letting go of that and accepting, no, actually, she's a married woman who deserves to have a life without me, basically. And but well, we, we, I was skipping ahead a tiny bit there, but that's kind of the... You can see those wheels turning. Yeah. So, as Amy appears to lose faith in the Doctor, the Minotaur Beast collapses. Yeah. And the hotel collapses itself into its true form, which is like a VR simulation room. It's Tron. Yeah. (laughs) It's just Tron. Yeah, it's just a black room with like blue dark lights in it. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, the whole thing was a simulation, basically. Yeah. So Amy then says that the Doctor was taken to or drawn to this hos- the hotel by the beast. Mm-hmm. So he too must have some level of faith. Yeah. Um, but before he can discuss that, the beast gives its sort of dying breath speech where it's talking about it being an ancient monster and having blood on its hands. And at the mm-hmm. end, it just goes, oh, I'm not talking about me. So he's clearly talking about the doctor. Yeah, yeah. What did you think of that moment? I I sort of could have guessed it was coming. Yeah. You know, whenever they talk about anything really bad, it's always just the nice, friendly doctor. <laughs> That's the thing. I do feel like it's good to have that little reality check once in a while, though. To remind yourself that this is, you know, yes, he's he's. We think of him as this dashing hero, but he did commit genocide oh, yes. of his own people so yeah. let's that, not that's gloss just over that one too much yeah. so we reach the conclusion of the episode they're back on earth and the doctor gives Amy and Rory a house and a car Yeah. and Amy realises the reason he's doing all this is because he's leaving yeah 
And he says, I need to go whilst you're still alive. You know, everyone around him gets hurt one way or the other. Yeah, the only the only per- the only regularish companion to to come out relatively unscathed is Martha so far in the modern series that we've mm. seen. I know, but Amy's already been through some some real dark shit. Yeah, like yeah. Ima- imagine if I just came to your house. I wouldn't because of social distancing. Just like <laughs> slapped you across the face and then said, "Oh, I'm going home now, David." Before anyone gets hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what's happening here, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's interesting, though. It's interesting this is coming in episode 10. Or 11, is it? They'll be 11. back. Yeah. They'll be back. But but maybe. But e- either way, I think it's interesting that he's obviously trying to put some distance and, and, and be like, look, run along now. He, he's He's basically like doing the Doctor's equivalent of releasing an antelope into the wild. Yeah, but they, <laughs> you know? there's too much still unresolved for them to just walk away. We've still got yeah. the whole day that the Doctor dies to address. We've still got everything that's going on with River Song. Mm-hmm. You know, Amy even says, if you see my daughter, tell her to come visit. So... They'll be back. We this isn't the end of them. And if Maybe it not. if it is, it's a poor send off. A poor send off. <laughs> it's just like it comes out of nowhere. We just get to the end of the episode and he goes, Alright, oh, right, bye you're, now. You're done. Yeah. Um, um so then Rory comes back outside, he nipped inside to get the champers, and he yeah. comes out and Amy says that the doctor is saving them by leaving. Yeah. So it's a, it's it's an interesting note to end on though isn't it it well, kind of it does there's two ways to look at the ending either mm. you say right well that's it for Amy and Rory in which case it's a pretty poor send off probably the worst yeah. we'd have seen all yeah. the others have gone out in a blaze of glory or but, I know Martha basically just said all right um I know but she came by. she came back the last thing we saw of her she was like in a firefight with a Sontaran. Yeah, that's true, but but her initial exit from the TARDIS was basically just like, all right, cheerio. And then, if, like me, you think they're coming back, then what's the point? <laughs> well, maybe you'll find out in future yeah. episodes. So, no, uh, not the worst, but not the best. Just, yeah, I, I, I would think... say it's standard for season six. Okay, well, you know... Good. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I'm just glad that you, you you didn't absolutely hate it the way I feared you might, given the way you were talking about it initially. Um, I'll accept that. Um, so, yeah, that pretty much uh, wraps things up for the God Complex. Um, unless you've got anything else to say? Uh, just stay at home. Don't yeah. go out. If you want, yeah. listen to our back catalogue. Let's get them numbers up. <laughs> Yeah, we've been doing this a long time. How now. many episodes are we on? We must be on seventy summer. Se- se- I think this is our seventy eighth. Right. Well, there's at least seventy hours of entertainment. That's three days of lockdown covered. <laughs> That's a horrifying thought, isn't it? That we spent so long doing this. Do you know what? But... One of the things, one of my little projects, I was going to do in lockdown was I was going to listen to all our first series and put together like the best of season one. And I just thought, that's like 12 hours. I'm not doing that. (laughs) 
And I mean, the cat's out the bag now because I was going to propose it was a little job you could do, but I suppose you won't want to do it either. I've got, I've got a son to look after. <laughs> There's no way. I mean, I'll be honest. And when we first started doing this, I w- I would listen back to every episode before we released it just to kind of check. I mean, obviously, if I'm editing it, I'll listen to it whilst I'm editing. But, like, once it was released, I'd, like, listen to it whilst I'm doing the washing up or whatever. Just be like, yeah, you know, see how it's going. After about episode 30, nah. Nah. I always <laughs> listen back. Because then I think... If Do you? Because then I always wonder whether my opinions changed on anything or not. And I can talk yeah. about it later. I'm quite... I think I probably will listen back again one day. But maybe not, like, until 10 years from now. Or something. I mean, we'll still be doing this. Capsule. They're still crapping out episodes. <laughs> what we've got to do is pray for its cancellation. <laughs> That's what I have faith in. Oh, Get man. Doctor Who cancelled. Let's. I'm going to put that out on our uh, <laughs> on our Twitter. Hold on. Login. <laughs> Time no space. New tweet. Hashtag cancel Doctor Who. Brutal. I, do, I, I should make it clear, I do not condone this. You one do. Jot, especially not in the Doctor current Who climate. fans don't like new Doctor Who. Yeah, this is part of the problem. We need to get the, the fans on side, at least, or there will be no Doctor Who. Anyway, this is a discussion for further down the line. But before we get anywhere close to that, uh, we need to be discussing closing time, which is exactly what we'll be doing next week. Um... So until then, thank you very much for listening, and cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com, and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.